Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. I want to take you to Matthew chapter 28 today. Jesus has been crucified. Three days later, he was resurrected. And then 11 days later, he appears to his disciples. He appears to his disciples uh, there in Matthew 28. And he gave them what is referred to as, anybody guess? The Great Commission. Give Stacy a lollipop. The Great Commission, right? Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus is speaking and he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Make learners of the word. Make students of the word. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So today, when we watch the Super Bowl and throughout the season, when you've watched football, for those of you who are football fans, you know how it is. The after each play, they get in the huddle and the quarterback has that thing on his wrist now. Right. Back in the day, they didn't have that. They were real men. But anyway, um, um, you know, Bart Starr never had anything. Anyway, so so, uh, for you old people, um, you know, he's got the list of plays and his team's there and he's giving them the play. Right. Now, you may not know this, but I played football and um, in high school. And uh, I played football and yeah, it was flag football, but it was football nonetheless. (laughs) Listen, it wasn't this sissy flag football that they play in flag football today. I mean, it was contact. It it, it was a man's game. (laughs) Yeah, it looked a little funny running with those things like doing this behind you. Like you were wearing some little twirly thing. I don't know, but it, it was football nonetheless. And so, you know, they're gonna, they get in the huddle and they, they're calling plays from the start of the game to the end of the game, right? And those, get, those plays are important. But how many of you know when you watch a football game and it comes down to like a tied game or, or the, the, the clock's about to run out and they, they, they need a field goal or they got to score a touchdown, the play they call at the end of the game is like really a big deal. Right. I mean, through the game, they've called some little, you know, ten and out plays. They've they've called some little button hook passes and ran the ball. But at the end of the game, when that quarterback knows that he has only seconds to make a difference, that plays a big deal. Right. Sometimes when when they've got a long way to go, we call it a Hail Mary. Right. That just means they're just going to throw the ball up and hope somebody on their team catches it. Right. That's really what we're looking at today in Matthew 28. Jesus is getting ready to depart to go back to the father. But before he does, like a good quarterback, Jesus called the saints into a huddle. 
The saints. Next year. The saints. Next year. I'm prophesying. Or prophet lying. I'm not sure. But... <clears throat> Jesus is getting ready to depart to go back to the Father. And he calls his disciples into a huddle. A holy huddle, if you will. And he gave his disciples one play. One play. Oh, they had seen him turn water into wine. They had seen him heal the leper. They saw him in John 6 feed the 5,000, really 15,000 with the little boy's lunch. They had seen all these things. But right this moment, Matthew 28, Jesus is getting ready to call the biggest play of his ministry. He's got him in this huddle. And he said, I got one play for you. Go make disciples. Carry on the work that I started. <clears throat> go and make disciples. It was like Jesus was saying, hey, I want you to go deep. By making disciples of all nations. And I want you to baptize people. And I want you to teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Everything up to this moment. Everything you've seen. Use it to go and make disciples. I want to emphasize for a second that word go in the text today, because Jesus said, go and make disciples. He's saying, don't wait on them to come to you. Go and get them and go and make them. There's a big difference because going is the Great Commission. In a recent poll, 82 percent of American churchgoers either had never heard of the Great Commission or could not articulate what the Great Commission was. That's a scary thought. The American church has become more focused on drawing spectators who come and listen instead of making disciples who go and tell. Can I just tell you, we're glad that you're here today. Maybe this is your first time. Come back next week. Our lead pastor is a great, great preacher. So just suffer through today and come back next week. I promise you, you'll enjoy him. We're glad you're here today. But God has more for you than just a sermon on a Sunday morning. See, we've learned to celebrate decisions more than we celebrate disciples. At the end of today, maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Christ in your heart as your Lord and Savior. You're going to have an opportunity to do that before you leave today. Maybe you don't know where you stand with God. Listen, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation and you will have that opportunity before you leave today. But what you do with it when you leave here really determines what God really did in your heart. See, because I'm going to ask you to lift your hand at the end of the service today. And we're going to be excited when hands go up. But can I just tell you, 
We've got to be more excited when we see you six down, the six months down the road, when you're going through discipleship and God's doing some things in your life, than we will at a hand raise today. Let me just give you proof of what I'm saying. Pre-COVID, churches were packed. Post-COVID, most churches are running anywhere from 40 to 50% of what they ran pre-COVID. And I know that there are some legitimate reasons. I know that there are people who are being cautious and I get that. And I, I say, absolutely, you do what you need to do to protect your health. I'm not talking about that. I'm just telling you, there are a lot of people who were in church on Sunday morning who are no longer here, not because of health reasons, but because there are things in that, that are just more important to them. They were here because, and I'm not talking about just mid, I'm talking about churches across America. You realize that churches across America, there's been a huge rate of churches closing. There's one denomination in our, there's one denomination, a national denomination that this past week we found out has 27 churches up for sale in Louisiana. 27 church buildings in this main denomination up for sale in the state of Louisiana. Listen, people were here because they love the worship. Aren't you thankful for our worship? Man, Trey and Allie do an amazing, amazing job. They were here because Pastor Scott is an incredible communicator, communicator. And they left with a challenge or a charge or a motivation. They were here because they loved the community. And all that stuff is amazing. But if you're not here for Jesus and for what he wants to do in you, eventually something else will be more important to you. You need to know our goal isn't a big church. That's not our goal. Our calling isn't a big church. Today, Jesus is calling his church to run the play that he gave his disciples 2,000 years ago. Go and make disciples. This is the heart of Jesus. This is the mission of Jesus. The word made flesh. Of all the things Jesus could have done, he spent a great deal of time, time pouring into his disciples. Oh, he ministered to the crowd over and over again. We see Jesus preaching, right? We see him preaching uh, there in Matthew 4 and 5, where we see uh, the Sermon on the Mount. He preached there in John chapter 6 to 15,000 people at least. He ministered to the crowd, but he discipled his small group. He discipled his core group. John chapter six, I think Pastor Scott referred to it either last week or the week before. John chapter six is where we see Jesus feed the 5,000 men plus women and children with the little boy's lunch, the loaves and the fish. And then he begins to preach a difficult message. And the Bible says at the end of John chapter six, that the multitudes left him and this is what they said. This is a hard saying. Who can follow it? In other words, what he's asking of me is more than I can do. What he's asking me to do, what he's asking me to commit to is hard 
And I say no. And then, you know, the end of the story there in John chapter six, verse 66, it's just Jesus and his disciples. It's just Jesus and his small group It's Jesus and his 12. And he looks at them and he says this to them. Do you want to leave too? Are you ready to go do something different? And Peter speaks up and he says this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I think Jesus is asking us today. Do you want to go too? Are you here for community and you, so you might want to do something different? Are you here for the good music? Because you can find good music other places. Are you here for me? Were you here just because you ate of the fish and the loaves? Or are you here because you understand that I really do have the words of eternal, not me, Jesus has the words of eternal life. So Jesus ministered to the crowd, but he discipled his core group. And in that core group, they passed the baton on to others. Listen, it began with a group of three, Peter, James, and John. Jesus had Peter, James, and John, his inner circle. And then he had his 12 that eventually grew into 72. But if You've been listening to Pastor Scott walk through the book of Acts. You know that the church grew to thousands and thousands of disciples. Listen, who weren't perfect, but looked like Jesus and talked like Jesus and were passionate about what Jesus was passionate about. Jesus is raising up an end time army of men and women who are serious about making disciples. Let me just say, in order to make disciples, you first have to be a disciple because you can only replicate who you are. In order to make disciples, you first have to be a disciple. So I want to talk to you for a few moments about what is a disciple? A disciple is someone who follows Jesus, learns from Jesus and imitates Jesus in attitude and action. I got good news for you. That may sound like a tall order, right? A disciple is someone who follows Jesus, learns from Jesus and imitates Jesus in attitude and action. But the good news is, is that anybody can be a disciple if you're willing to simply do two things. Number one, you got to answer the call. You got to answer the call over and over again. We see Jesus calling people to follow him in scripture. Jesus called the disciples. Remember, Jesus called Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree, you short little man. I'm paraphrasing. Jesus called people and he's already called us as well. It's important to note that Jesus didn't call the best and the brightest. And he didn't focus on the rich and the respectable. And I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful for that. Amen. Right. I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that 48 years ago. When my dad was lost as could be an alcoholic, a gambler, a chain smoker. 
when somebody reached out to him to share the love of Jesus with him. I'm so thankful that God was interested in him, even though he didn't fit many people's standard. He had made a mess of his life. He had made a mess of his marriage and a mess of his family. But God has a pretty good reputation of taking people who are a mess or people who've made a mess and cleaning them up and making something out of them. Right. And today I'm here simply because Jesus called and my dad answered. I don't know your story. I don't know where you come from, but I know this. Jesus is calling you today. So number one, we got to answer the call. If you want to be a disciple, you got to do two things. Number one, answer the call. Number two, you got to count the cost. We answer the call, but we must also count the cost. Matthew 4, 17. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. To repent simply means this. It simply means to have a change of mind that leads to a change of direction in life. Repentance isn't just saying, I'm sorry that I did something I shouldn't do. That's asking for forgiveness. Repentance is altogether different. Repentance is understanding that you need a change, not only in your heart, in your perspective, in the way you see things, but a change in the direction of your life. So Jesus is saying here, the kingdom of God is at hand. And if you want to enter the kingdom, then you have to change your mind about who is in charge and then turn around and follow Jesus. Repentance means forsaking every allegiance and alliance that keeps you from following Jesus. It's not a 360 turn, it's a 180 turn, right? But before we turn to Jesus, we must do the math and count the cost. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 14. Now great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. In other words, what Jesus is saying is this. I have to be more important than anyone else in your life, including yourself. Because until you come to that place, that Jesus is the most important person in your life, then you'll always go searching for something other than what Jesus has to offer. Let me read that again. Now, great crowds accompanied him. He turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether enough, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Listen, the cross, it represents death. The cross represents death. Jesus died for our sins and there is nothing more we can do to earn our salvation. Let me just remind you. Because most of us grew up in traditional religion. 
It's not Jesus plus something else for you to find forgiveness or salvation. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. If it's Jesus plus some works that you can do, then what you're saying is that the cross wasn't enough. That Jesus wasn't enough. That what God sent as the sacrifice for our sin wasn't enough. Listen, it is Jesus and only Jesus. He died not only to save us from something, but listen, he also died to save us for something. For himself. For the purpose of making disciples. But he commands us to die to ourselves, to pick up our cross and follow him. Discipleship is the call to die. Who wants to sign up? Right? Discipleship is the call to die to everything that pulls us away from Jesus. You can enjoy the pleasure of sin or the presence of God, but you can't enjoy both. In order to become disciples, we must be willing to part ways with and turn away from the things that keep us from following Jesus. We have to count the cost. Listen, for you, when you think about what it is that you would have to walk away from. It may seem like a lot to give up, but trust me, what you gain is so much greater than what you walk away from. If we had an opportunity today to put a mic up here and let one by one come tell our stories, you would be amazed at who's in this room. You would be amazed at the stories we would hear, the stories of brokenness, but Jesus. The stories of divorce, but then Jesus. The stories of abandonment, but Jesus. The stories of abuse, but then Jesus. The stories of addiction, but then Jesus. One after another, you would hear stories of who we were and who we are today, not because of ourselves, but because of our Savior. Let me tell you what you wouldn't hear. You'd hear stories of brokenness, salvation and discipleship, you would not hear stories of perfection. Because just because you've said yes to Jesus, just because you've repented, just because you're in a discipleship group, there's no perfection in this room. We all mess up. Right? You said amen really loud. Call me later. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You would not hear stories of perfection. And can I just tell you, the enemy wants to convince you that you're not good enough. You are good enough. Not because of what we think about you, but because of what he thinks about you. The enemy wants to convince you that you'll never measure up. Listen, what I love about scripture, because if I was writing scripture, there's a whole lot of stuff I wouldn't have put in here. I wouldn't have put the failures, right? This should have been a book about great people who did great things. I'd have never put in here God calling David a man after his own heart after he slept with Bathsheba, who wasn't his wife, and then had her husband murdered. (laughs) 
You wouldn't hear stories of perfection. You would hear stories of people who understand who they were, who they met, and what God has done in their life to bring change. Let me tell you another lie of the enemy. One of the, one of the lies of the enemy, and let me just remind you, that Satan always comes to work against the plan of God for your life. And he starts with a thought. He doesn't start with a sin, he starts with a thought. Let me tell you another lie that the enemy tells us. It's too hard to serve Jesus. It's too hard to serve Jesus. When you think about what you have to walk away from, when you think about who you have to walk away from, it's too hard to serve Jesus. Let's take, a, let's take a field trip down to the parish jail and talk to moms who haven't seen their kids in two years because they're incarcerated because they were pursuing what came easy versus following Jesus. Let's go down to Teen Challenge, the drug recovery center for men and women and hear their stories of abandonment and brokenness and addiction and overdose. Let's go down to the psych ward of people who live for themselves and don't even know where they are today. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. But I have come that you would have life and life to the fullest. I promise you, I don't know what you have to walk away from, but I promise you it is nothing in comparison to Jesus. Discipleship is not a program. It's a process of becoming mature followers, learners, and imitators of Christ. Discipleship has a call. It involves a cost. And it takes place in the context of relationships and community. Can I just tell you, many times the people who I know that tried to follow Jesus and in their minds failed... More times than not, it's because they tried to do it alone. <clears throat> and God never called us to walk alone. Go to the book of Genesis. We see God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what did God the Father say? So they're operating in community, the, the Trinity. And God said, let us make man in our own image. You know what he was saying? Yes, let's make him as we've created him to be, but let's make him so that he thrives in community. We see Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, living and existing within community. You know why? Because we are better together than we are by ourselves. We are better because God created us to thrive in community, to learn from one another, to grow from one another. Listen, God expects us to be in a group of people who love us enough to tell us when we're being dumb. And sometimes we're being dumb. We just haven't surrounded us with, any, with ourselves, with anybody who's willing to tell us we're being dumb. Pastor Scott would have said that so much better. He'd have had some kind of great word. Come back next week. I'm telling you, come back. I'm excited about the groups that we're launching today. These groups are for the purpose of growing stronger 
in our relationship with Jesus, but also stronger in our relationships with one another. After you answer the call and after you count the cost, then you need a common resource in order to grow. And that resource is the word of God. Listen, everything we do here is based on the word of God. Listen, there are some groups out there of people work. They're going to work out together. I'm not sure that I'm joining that one, but but they are. They are working out together and stuff. There's no donut holes at that table. If you're looking for donut holes and pop tarts, don't go to that table. Listen, there are guys, there are people playing baseball, whatever. Listen, it all comes back to the word of God. That is, we live for Christ and we do life. Surrender to Christ. Listen, that's part of discipleship. Matthew chapter seven. Everyone then who hears these words is Jesus. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came <clears throat> and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. There around the Sea of Galilee where people would build houses. Here's what they knew. They knew that the sand on the surface could feel very, very firm, firm enough to build on. But they knew once you dug down, not so deep, it was extremely soft. So in order to build in that region, you had to literally dig until you got to the bedrock and then you built there. And what Jesus is saying is this. You got to go deep. You got to get in here. You, you got to be willing to get past what seems like it's strong enough in order to get to what is absolutely strong enough. Amen. If we will build our lives on the word of God, we will withstand the storms of life. And how many of you know storms of life do come? So discipleship isn't just hearing the word. It's hearing and then obeying the word of God. You can make disciples when you play baseball, when you play basketball. You can show Christ likeness in the way that you win the game and in the way that you lose the game. And you're going to fail at times. You're going to fail at times. You're going to mess up at times. And when you fail to lead by example, then you have an opportunity to lead by repentance. That's discipleship. So I want to ask you a question today. Are you a follower of Christ? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Because I promise you, he wants a relationship with you so much that he died on a cross to pay for your sin. And all you have to do is say yes to him. John chapter three, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him 
would not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Would you bow your heads? Please don't leave. I want to I want to just kind of give you some practice about the groups that we have today. But if you're here today and you've never surrendered your heart to Christ. You've never literally taken the steering wheel of your life and handed it over to God. There's some things that have kept you from surrendering to him. There's some things that have kept you from taking that step. I don't know where you are, who you are, or what you have to give up. But I know who Jesus is. I know where he is. He's here today. And I know that he wants life to the fullest for you. You're here today and you need to make a commitment to Christ. I'm about to count to three. And when I do, I simply want you to just put up your hand and you can put it right back there. We want to embarrass you, not calling you forward. We're not asking you to stand. I simply want to pray a prayer and include you in that prayer. John chapter three, a man named Nicodemus looked at Jesus and said, what must I do to get to heaven? And Jesus could have said all kinds of things. But what Jesus said was, you must be born again. My earthly birthday is February 17th, 1966. My spiritual birthday is somewhere in 1973 when I stood and said yes to Jesus. And today can be the day that you say yes to Jesus. And from here on out, you'll go, oh, yeah, I, this, that's my earthly birthday. But here's my spiritual birthday. One, listen, don't worry about who's here, what this one thinks or that one thinks. None of that matters today. The only thing that matters is God loves you. He's here and he wants a relationship with you. Two, listen, we don't know when God's going to call for us to stand before him, to give an account for our lives. I have a question for you. Would you be ready if God called for you today to simply give an account for your life? Really, the better question is, do you want to be ready? You want to surrender your heart to Christ? You feel the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart right now? Three, just lift up your hand right where you are and then put it right back down. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. I want you to just keep your heads bowed. I want to pray a prayer. There's no magic in the prayer. The prayer doesn't save you. I'm just going to help you articulate through a prayer what God is doing in your in your your, your heart right now. I'm asking every believer to pray in support of these who lifted their hands today. Can we pray together? Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that on the cross you took my sin, my shame and my guilt and you died for it. I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all of my heart. And I declare that God is my Father. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. 
The Holy Spirit is my helper and heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we celebrate these today?